welcome to CannabisRadio.com. You're listening to the live feed for The Russ Belleville Show, which begins at the top of the hour. Stay tuned. To cannabisradio.com. You're listening to the live feed for The Russ Belleville Show, which begins at the top of the hour. Stay tuned. the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform. I smoke pot and I like it a lot. CannabisRadio.com presents The Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation. Hey, this is great, man. Now, here's your host, Radical Russ Belleville. Good day, tokers and tokettes and non-toking lovers of liberty. It is Thursday, July 21st, 2016, and it's got to be 420 somewhere in the world. Welcome to the show, coming to you live and direct from beautiful legal potland, Oregon, on the 26th floor of the Ardea Condominium Towers, on the south waterfront of the Willamette River. Got a beautiful view here, got a bowl loaded up of legal Oregon cannabis, and we are ready to bring you the news for today. All sorts of great stuff coming up on the show today. Uh, we are going to play a replay interview, though, uh, for our Cops Say Legalized Drug segment today. Uh, we interviewed Joe Baldy, a South San Francisco uh, former police officer. We're going to replay that interview for you today because it was a really good one, and uh, Joe's a really good guy, so I wanted to give him a chance to hear it again. But uh, coming up at the end of the show, we'll have time for a radical rant, uh, and this one sadly uh, is tied to some breaking news uh, having to do with some friends of the show. That would be Ann Armstrong and Alan Gordon, the leaders of the Healing Church uh, in Rhode Island. They were arrested by Rhode Island State Police today for possession of great 
deal, a great deal of cannabis, cannabis products uh, and so forth at their home, uh, which they, of course, claim to use and distribute for religious purposes. And uh, the cops uh, didn't care too much about that and arrested them and are now holding them without bail. So in the Radical Rant today, we're going to talk about the fight for religious ganja sacrament and how, as noble as it is, folks, it's a wasted effort. We'll talk about that at the end of the show. Also coming up on the show today in Drug War Data Mining, we're going to take a look at the ridiculous marijuana testing thresholds in American sports. Uh, it's weird enough that we are testing our athletes for whether or not they smoke pot, but the variance in the testing thresholds throughout the different sports leaves a lot to be desired as well. We'll take a look at that in Drug War Data Mining. Also on the show today in Behind the Headlines, we've got some more data to take a look at coming out of my home state here in Oregon that is some bad news for those of us that want to fight for marijuana legalization coming up here in the 2016 election. I'm going to give you some talking points and some thoughts as we move forward on the issue of marijuana and driving, one of the two big issues that could still derail marijuana legalization. Uh, so we'll talk about that coming up right after the Cannabis Radio News. And in the headlines today, we are going to uh, take you to uh, that story in Rhode Island on the uh, Cannabis Church. We've also got the uh, retirement of an NFL player who speaks out for medical marijuana. We've got some good news coming out of Ireland with respect to medical marijuana. We're going to cover that data coming out of Oregon, and we take a look at Rochester, New York, where a candidate running for assembly uh, says that the people she talks to wants, want marijuana legalized, and some news, other sports news out of the Olympics uh, for one particular judoka who will be competing in Rio. Also, we're going to take a look in hour two at uh, Sheldon Adelson, who is the uh, casino magnate who is bankrolling uh, a lot of the anti-marijuana propaganda that happened in 2014 and is likely to rear his ugly head in 2016. In fact, you know what, folks? I'm going to call an audible. That's right. I'm going to switch things up right here, right live on the show. Uh, we're going to can the uh, record pre-recorded interview and let's go to the uh, Sheldon Adelson piece for hour one. We'll put the, uh, the leap interview into hour two because we did hear it last week. So stay tuned. Hour one is all new. See, we're adjusting on the fly because we can because we're live. <laughs> I don't know why I'm getting that hard drive static. I'll see what I can do to fix it during the break. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back after this. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Next to THC and CBD, you can now add CBR to your cannabis vernacular. CBR as in CannabisRadio.com. The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be, the Vuber way.
growing green to generate more green. Hello to all you happy herbalizers, smiling, trippy hippies, and everyone who believes in freedom and tolerance. This is The Grow Show, and I'm Kyle Cushman. From food to fuel, from remedy to resource. Welcome my guest, Ed Rosenthal, the guru of ganja. Let me ask you, right now I hear your lighter clicking. Are you smoking indoor, or are you smoking sun-grown? What am I smoking? I'm smoking concentrate. <laughs> Way to get out of the answer there. So you're truly like the, the, the king, right? You just have you just clap your hands and somebody brings you a bowl and you're all set, right? Mm, I wish that were the case. <laughs> the Grow Show with Kyle Cushman, only on CannabisRadio.com. You can find Radical Russ online everywhere. Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest. YouTube, SoundCloud, Snapchat, LinkedIn, and Boise State University's 2400 baud modem bulletin board system from 1985. New beginner guitars and banjos are often constructed much better than ones built before your time. Why struggle? Get a new instrument or fix the old one. The trusted professionals at the Fingerboard Extension will evaluate your instrument for free. Repairs are priced for people who work for a living. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. It's time for the Cannabis Radio News. Covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis, medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. Cannabis Radio News is now available exclusively at CannabisRadio.com. Now your marijuana headlines in 4 minutes and 20 seconds. This is Cannabis Radio News. This is your Cannabis Radio News for Thursday, July 21st, 2016. West Greenwich, Rhode Island. Two leaders of a cannabis-focused religion were arrested by Rhode Island State Police for cultivation and possession of marijuana. Ann Armstrong and Alan Gordon are leaders of the Healing Church, a religion that promotes the use of cannabis as the cannabosum referred to in the Bible's recipe for holy anointing oil. The pair made headlines in 2015 when they attempted to smoke sacramental cannabis in, Roger, in Rhode Island's Roger Williams Memorial, a site recognizing religious freedom. State police say they recovered 12 pounds of usable marijuana, 59 cannabis plants, and 10 pounds of hash oil from the pair's home. While Armstrong and Gordon cite the Constitution's First Amendment and the Religious Freedom Restoration Act of 1993 as protecting their right to use cannabis sacramentally, just as it protects other religions' use of hallucinogenics like peyote and ayahuasca, numerous court decisions have found in favor of the government's compelling interest to maintain cannabis prohibition, including a decision last month by the U.S. Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals in the marijuana distribution case of Roger Christie of the Hawaii Cannabis Ministry. Baltimore, Maryland. Eugene Monroe, the NFL offensive tackle who was dropped by the Baltimore Ravens following his call for medical marijuana acceptance in the sport, has retired from football. The seven-year veteran cited his health and his family in making his decision, from his wife being, quote, concerned about things like me putting the phone in the freezer and then tearing up our house looking for it, end quote, to his four-year-old daughter telling him, quote, Daddy, you don't remember anything, end quote. 
Monroe says he will still be a, quote, vocal advocate for medical marijuana research, particularly as it relates to CTE, end quote, the brain-damaging disease seemingly caused by repeated concussions. Monroe also says he won't rest until, quote, steps are taken to curb the overuse of opioids in NFL locker rooms, end quote. Dublin, Ireland, a lawmaker in the lower house of parliament has introduced a bill to legalize medical marijuana in Ireland. Deputy Brid Smith met with caregivers for people with Dravet syndrome, the rare childhood epilepsy, that moved many U.S. states into passing CBD-only legislation. Smith, however, also supports the use of whole plant cannabis for alleviation of seizures, spasms, nausea, and pain. Gresham, Oregon. The Oregon State Police have reported to Portland's Fox TV affiliate that there have, has been a 163% increase in stone driving arrests in the first six months of marijuana legalization. Overall, DUI arrests increased by 7%, suggesting that marijuana is not being substituted for the use of alcohol when it comes to driving impairment factors. Oregon State traffic data for 2014 also show an increase in the overall driving fatality rate by over 10%. However, critics note that following the passage of marijuana legalization, police are prioritizing the detection of marijuana-impaired drivers and are increasing their own education on how to spot such drivers. Driving fatalities they counter are influenced by alcohol DUIs, which increased, as well as lower gas prices, leading to more miles traveled. Rochester, New York. A candidate for state assembly is calling for the legalization of marijuana in New York by noting that many of the citizens she visits are smoking it. Rachel Barnhart, running in the 138th district, told Wham! TV that while campaigning door-to-door, quote, I meet many people who are smoking marijuana. I know what's going on in their houses because I can smell it, end quote. Barnhart faces an uphill battle if she wins her election to an assembly that barely managed to pass medical marijuana in New York, and then only in a non-smokable form in a very restricted program. About half of Rochester area residents surveyed agreed with legalization, but current assemblyman for the 138th district, Harry Bronson, said that, quote, the constituents I represent have not been calling for legalization, so I am not prepared to start advocating for that, end quote. Westfield, New Jersey. An American judoka who was expelled from the 2012 Olympic team for failing a marijuana drug test will be back competing in, in judo at the 2016 Olympics in Rio. Nicholas Del Popolo claims he had eaten a brownie at a friend's party and did not know he was infused with cannabis. This has been your Cannabis Radio News for Thursday, July 21st, 2016. I'm Russ Belville. Keep your cannabis cravings under control. Feed your mind with CannabisRadio.com. Play as Ted Growing, expelled botany sophomore and the biggest grower in town, only on Weed Firm Replanted. Available on the App Store and Google Play. It's a lot of work being the biggest grower in town. Maintaining a room full of plants while dealing with a slew of eccentric customers, from a hardcore partier to the curious neighbor next door. Is anybody home? Help me expand my bud business by unlocking new strains, customizing my grow room, and completing challenges that you can't get enough of. Grow your empire so big you can see it from space. Low on funds? Don't worry. Weed Firm Replanted is free to download. Download Weed Firm Replanted for free on the App Store and Google Play today. Get growing, Mr. Growing. Normal stands for Responsible Adult Cannabis Use. If cannabis use is causing problems in your life, consider taking a break or seeking medical assistance. Consider ceasing cannabis use if you have a family history of mental illness. 
Don't drive or operate heavy machinery while impaired by cannabis use. Cannabis use is not without risks, even though the risks are far less than those posed by legal drugs. You're listening to Radical Russ on the Russ Belleville Show. At Herbie's Cannabis Seeds, we pride ourselves on bringing you the best quality seeds from the world's most respected cannabis seed producers, all at the lowest online prices. You can find Herbie's Seeds at Herbie'sHeadShop.com. All cannabis seeds are sold as souvenirs and as a means of preserving cannabis genetics. Herbie's Seeds in no way intends to condone, promote, or incite the use of illegal or controlled substances. We strongly urge all prospective customers to check their national laws prior to placing an order. Herbie's Seeds at Herbie'sHeadShop.com. Proud sponsors of the Russell Bell Show and 420 Radio. The world of cannabis is evolving at a frenetic pace. The Russ Belleville Show gets behind the headlines to take a deeper look at breaking news in our Cannabis Focus. Today in the Cannabis Focus, we're going to take a look at some of those numbers from the Oregon uh, police, Oregon State Police that we talked about in the the, uh, Cannabis Radio News. Very disturbing figures coming here. Uh, According to the report, there has been a 163% increase in the number of marijuana DUIs issued by the state police in the first six months of legalization. Now, that would be the second half of 2015. Uh, so we're talking about, uh, you know, it became legal to possess in, in July of last year, and then they got the first six months of, of uh, data. And this is troublesome, uh, but I think it is something that we can defend against. And what we need to do is to make sure every everybody understands uh, one simple analogy. Uh, I always like to say it like this. If you go to the river one day and you catch two fish, and then you go to the river the next day and you catch 20 fish, does it mean there was more fish in the river? Or could it be that you found a new place to fish, you found a better fishing hole, you use better bait, or you changed from a fishing pole to a fishing net. This is what we're going to have to do with respect to these DUI numbers, because I can tell you that when California passes and these other states pass, following their passage, they are also going to see increases in the number of people caught for marijuana DUI. And our opponents are going to seize on that and try to scare the rest of the states by saying, see, you legalize marijuana, And more people are stone drivers. We need to emphasize the point that we're not necessarily catching more stone drivers out there, that there's not necessarily more of them, that we're just better at catching them now. We can emphasize that through passing marijuana legalization, we make the police aware of the idea of there being stone drivers out there. And these laws, when they're passed, often divert some of those marijuana tax funds to law enforcement and specifically mandate the training of more drug recognition experts. In other words, the cops are out there, they're abandoning the fishing pole, and they're changing to the net. They're better at spotting the people who are stone drivers. If we can get this through people's heads, they could, we could start to change the framing of this so that when more stone drivers are apprehended or charged, the public starts to see that as actually a benefit of legalization, that now legalization is helping us to catch the people out there who are stone drivers. Now, it's important that we emphasize that when we say stone drivers on this show, 
that we're talking about people who are actually impaired and causing a problem. For the cops to be pulling them over in the first place, they need to have some sort of belief that they're impaired in some sort of way. But let's not confuse this with the per se DUIs that are based on nanograms in, of metabolite in someone's urine or blood uh, or active uh, metabolite in their blood that have nothing to do with impairment. So for, for the purpose of the, this discussion, let's you know, leave it to the people that we do want to keep off the road, people who are too impaired by marijuana to be driving. I personally don't think that's a whole lot of people. And it's become the difficult distinction to have to make because to the public, they just want to see that there's no more harm coming to them from marijuana legalization. So again, changing this frame to the idea of the cops now have a net rather than a fishing pole will help to help the public to understand that more DUI arrests does not mean that we have more dangerous roads out there. In fact, it means we have less dangerous roads out there because we're catching more of the people who you'd think would be a problem. I don't think they're a problem personally, again, but again, this we're talking about the perceptions of the people out there. The only problem with this becomes in trying to back it up. Now, up to this point, when this has been raised for Washington or Colorado, I've been able to go to the statistics and show that, yeah, you may have arrested more people for DUI, but the traffic fatalities continue to go down. Unfortunately, with Oregon, in the first uh, in the in the 2014 data, the traffic fatalities went up in Oregon slightly, and uh, that's not just overall fatalities, but also the fatality rate per hundred million miles driven, which would account for the more miles being driven because gas prices have been lower, and therefore more chance for people to die. Now the rate went up, so that takes that into account. We don't yet have these numbers from 2015 to see what the effect of marijuana legalization may have been, but the numbers from 2013, 2012, and before that all showed a consistent decline. 2014 was the first year in Oregon where there was an increase in those traffic fatality rates. If that increase continues through 2015, that could be tougher to defend. Hey, bud. Let's party. I'm just saying we need to be careful. Please, drive carefully, drive safely, and don't take legalization as some sort of license to just be token and driving and not worrying about it. This isn't a done deal yet. We need to get legalization passed in a whole lot of places. Let's put our best foot forward and, and be the good tokers that we are. I know you will. From dabs to chibas, sativas to indicas, we roll out a whole concentrate of fresh new content every week. It's like going from the greenhouse to the dispensary. CannabisRadio.com Dr. Dabber, hurry! Its temperature is shooting past 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up! I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct! Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber. Doctor's order. Less heat, <laughs> more flavor. Tommy Chong is ready to cut through the smoke and change the tone. 
of Tilk Radio. I hope everybody's got their vape pen handy or their pipe or their bong or whatever you use to do your medicine. Well, you don't, it's not a requirement. You don't have to be high for this show. Yeah, you do. <laughs> okay. I don't know who you're talking to. You have to be high to do anything. At least I do. I don't know about you. In fact, I've been high so long that being straight is another high. The Tommy Chung Podcast, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome to my world. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. I beat China all the time. Okay, maybe you're high too. When you are starting up a medical cannabis business, you want a fired-up lawyer who understands the needs of cannabis consumers. The law office of Lauren Vasquez is your fired-up lawyer for the cannabis industry. Visit her website, fireduplawyer.com, or call 1-855-MMJ-LAWS for more information. That's 855-665-5297 for Lauren Vasquez, your fired-up lawyer, or email fireduplawyer at gmail.com. Promoting the end of adult cannabis prohibition is easy because we have facts, science, reason, compassion, evidence, truth, and logic on our side. It's even easier when researchers catalog it all for us. Learn how to gather the facts on marijuana use, arrests, seizures, rehabs, drug tests, and more on this edition of Drug War Data Mining. Today in Drug War Data Mining, I want to talk about drug testing in sports. We've got the Olympics coming up in Rio, and in the uh, in the news, we had two sports stories today. One of Olympic judoka uh, Nick Del Popolo, and the story of Eugene Monroe retiring from the NFL. And uh, both of them uh, have marijuana in their backgrounds. Eugene Monroe uh, advocating for medical cannabis research and acceptance for treatment of CTE and concussion. And, of course, uh, Del Popolo was rejected from the 2012 Olympic team because he failed a marijuana drug test. And that leads me to discussing the thresholds that make a failure for a drug test for marijuana in the various sports disciplines. It's really strange, first of all, that any of the sports would be testing for marijuana use in the first place. Uh, None of them claim it to be a performance-enhancing drug, although you can talk to many athletes who talk about it being useful for their rest and recovery, and even a few who say that it helps them with respect to timing and concentration. So uh, that could happen in the future. Who knows? Once we know more about uh, cannabis and its effect on sport, maybe someday it will be a performance-enhancing drug. But for now, it is just banned because it's on the uh, the banned substances list, uh, largely because it's illegal and culturally unaccepted. But the leagues, like I say, all have different levels at which they consider someone to be positive. All the way at the lowest level, the easiest drug test to fail for marijuana in all of the sports disciplines is with the NCAA. The NCAA, of course, controls all uh, Division I college athletics, and this would refer a lot, of course, to the college football players who pop up all the time as passing as failing the uh, marijuana drug test. They need just five nanograms of inactive metabolite in urine to fail the marijuana drug test. Five nanograms. Now, that's not the five nanograms like they have in Washington State, 
where it's uh, where they're talking about the uh, active THC in the blood, the impairing THC. This is metabolite. This is something that shows that the impairing effect has worn off. It's been metabolized. And five nanograms is a level that someone who's even an infrequent cannabis consumer uh, could test positive at days or even a week or two after consumption. Now, at the next level up, at 15 nanograms, we have uh, the um, – the 15 nanograms used to be the NCAA's threshold, by the way. They lowered it to 5 nanograms in 2014. 15 nanograms uh, seems to be the threshold for the National Basketball Association, but their testing is so, um, shall we say, unrandom that, that, that they have plenty of time to prepare for it. And we don't see as much news about NBA and marijuana. From 15 nanograms at the NBA, we move up to 35 nanograms with the NFL, who uh, raised that limit from 15 recently within the past two or three years. And yet still, we have numerous football players who are suspended. In 2013, Vaughn Miller, the uh, NFL's uh, uh, Super Bowl MVP this year, uh, he was suspended six games. Uh, Josh Gordon, who in 2014 was going to be the was the lead leading receiver up to that point, he was suspended ten games. And these guys lose their game paychecks for each one of those games they miss. So this is costing them tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Thirty five nanograms in the NFL. Major League Baseball maintains a standard of fifty nanograms for uh, failing a baseball test, uh, a, a marijuana test for baseball, uh, the highest limit, aside from the Nevada State Athletic Commission and the World Anti-Doping Agency. Now, the Nevada Commission and many other state commissions have raised their limit from 15 or from 50 nanograms. Nevada State Athletic Commission raised from 50 nanograms to 150 nanograms. And the World Anti-Doping Agency raise theirs from 15 to 150 nanograms. Both agencies uh, mention this. The, the World Anti-Doping Agency, they control the Olympic sports and international sports. And the Nevada State Athletic Commission, these other state commissions, control boxing and mixed martial arts. They all raise their standard to 150 nanograms for the express purpose of ensuring that they don't catch people who are just using cannabis on their off time and not getting into the to the ring or the cage high. And then there's the NHL. The National Hockey League stands alone as the only pro sport that I could find that does not test for marijuana, does not have a test for marijuana in their, uh, uh, their bargaining agreement, which is great news for the hockey players who like football players, boxers, and mixed martial artists can often suffer from head trauma, from concussion, and who knows, even chronic traumatic encephalopathy. We shall see. The, uh, uh, the difference in all of these drug testing limits uh, just further underscores how much education is necessary to make these sports leagues understand that Testing for marijuana is not helping to improve their sport. It's harming their athletes by preventing them from acquiring a safer method of, of painkilling. It's preventing them from the, uh, the benefits against head trauma. 
And for these athletes, it's costing them money and, and prestige in their careers for no good reason. Let's end the sports league's testing for marijuana metabolites as we continue to legalize and medicalize marijuana all across this country. It's just an untenable position. All right, when we come back, we're going to have our activist agenda. I'm going to tell you all about Sheldon Adelson, the billionaire buzz killer, when we return. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Legal to listen to all over the world. We're just not sure about France. CannabisRadio.com. Hi, I'm Montel Williams. Most of you know me as a talk show host, but I'm also an author, actor, single father of four, avid snowboarder, and I'm also a medical marijuana patient. Living with multiple sclerosis, I'm in pain every day. Medical marijuana is my last resort, and it helps me when all other drugs have failed. If you'd like more information about medical marijuana, you can contact the Marijuana Policy Project at mpp.org or call 1-877-JOIN-MPP. It's time for Cannabis Facts about teen drug use from Robert Platchorn's TheSilverTour.org. This message is supported by our donors and Hemp, Inc., a public company poised to lead America's hemp revolution at HempInc.com. A recent survey by the U.S. Centers for Disease Control indicates that in states that have legalized medical marijuana, the rate of marijuana consumption among high school students has not increased. In fact, in legal states like Colorado, teen use has actually decreased significantly. It's simply no longer a big deal for teenagers in legal states. This was Cannabis Facts from thesilvertour.org, an educational nonprofit supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., a public company poised to lead America's hemp revolution at hempinc.com. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. The Supreme Court is wrong on the Second Amendment. Okay, maybe you're high, too. The Russ Belleville Show is proudly sponsored by the Marijuana Business Association. The MJBA, called by NBC News the Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, is the fastest-growing business association in the fastest-growing industry in America. I've been working with the MJBA for years, and I personally invite you to join the MJBA. MJBA also publishes the popular MJ Headline News on Facebook and the MJNewsNetwork.com and Marijuana Channel 1 on YouTube. Visit MJBA.net for more details. Activism begins with ACT. The Rush Belleville Show features the stories of hardworking grassroots activists working for an end to prohibition in today's activist agenda. Back in 2014, Floridians were fixing to become the first southern state with medical marijuana. Activists put together a professional campaign. It was funded mostly by millionaire attorney John Morgan. 
Florida resident Kathy Jordan, one of the world's longest surviving patients with Lou Gehrig's disease, you know, uh, amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, ALS, right? Uh, Kathy Jordan emerged as the public example of who would be helped by passing the question to medical marijuana amendment. And the poll showed landslide support ranging in the 70 to 80 percent range, which is good news because the constitutional amendments in in, uh, Florida, for some reason, require 60 percent of the vote to pass. Yeah, 60 percent vote requirement. So at that time, 2014, we're riding pretty high. We're thinking, here we go. We're going we're gonna to put an anchor in Florida there and uh, get medical marijuana spread throughout the South. Well, then you enter Sheldon Adelson, who poured $4 million of his money into this sleazy anti-medical marijuana TV ad campaign. Uh, he was solicited to get involved in Florida by his longtime friend, a guy by the name of Mel Sembler. Now, Mel and Betty Sembler, they are longtime anti-drug crusaders who once ran something called Straight Inc. And Straight Inc. were these tough love rehab camps for teenagers, right? And uh, they were found guilty in numerous lawsuits uh, and had to pay almost a million dollars in damages over false imprisonment and abuse, uh, claims by the kids who were uh, treated in these uh, tough love camps. It could be, you know, and uh, it's some bad stuff. Look up straight ink sometime and uh, get yourself educated on that. It's some some wicked stuff. Well, in these TV ads that uh, that Adelson pumped four million bucks into, they told Floridians that the question to medical marijuana amendment from 2014 was full of loopholes that uh, it's somehow going to empower drug dealers, that anybody would be able to get medical marijuana and be a free-for-all like California, and it would turn all the kids into drug addicts. Now, these ads were successful enough to drop the final electoral count for question two down to 58%. Now, that's a landslide win anywhere else, but again, a two-point defeat for Florida. So for years now, those of us who've been trying to legalize marijuana, we've been, we've been funded primarily by three billionaires. Financier George Soros, Peter Lewis from Progressive Insurance, and the University of Phoenix founder, John Sperling. And today, California's legalization campaign is primarily funded by Lewis's estate and Facebook billionaire, Sean Parker. Now, our opposition has its first billionaire backer, Sheldon Adelson. Adelson is an 82-year-old man who is currently Forbes' 22nd richest person in the world. He's estimated to be worth $27 billion. He be- and he's a self-made man, too. Started with nothing, grew up poor, uh, got like a, a $100 loans from his uncle so he could start uh, selling newspapers on the corner. And then made money from that and got another loan to build another business. He's one of these guys. Just took it from the very ground level. He uh, helped found Comdex, the uh, computer uh, uh, stock index, uh, and sold that and made a, a ton of change. Well, now his his money comes from uh, his Las Vegas Sands casino empire. They own and operate the Venetian, the Palazzo, 
and the Sands Convention Center in Las Vegas. They operate the Sands Casino in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, and five more casinos in China, Macau, and one or four in Macau and one in Singapore, I think it is. And of course, this guy is very active in Republican politics. It, it's kind of odd, too, because socially he holds a lot of liberal positions. He's, he's pro-choice. He's pro-gay rights, uh, for example. But um, lately he's been a Republican darling. Uh, his influence is so great in GOP circles that the candidates flew to Vegas this year to personally lobby for his support. <laughs> the pundits called it the Adelson primary, right? Well, uh, Adelson, by the way, has endorsed Donald Trump for president and has pledged to donate $100 million to the Trump campaign. $100 million. Maybe he could also uh, educate Trump on how not to bankrupt a casino. <laughs> how do you do that? Uh, anyway, uh, while Adelson has these strong political views, uh, some progressive views, like I said, on on women's rights and and uh, gay rights, but he's also got some conservative views on taxes and foreign policy, and particularly with respect to Israel. But one thing that Sheldon Adelson really hates is marijuana. See, Sheldon and his second wife, and she's a, a born in Israel. Her name is Dr. Miriam Adelson. They've been married for 25 years, and they've got four kids together. She's got numerous medical degrees, and her specialty? Drug addiction treatment. That's right. Adelson is married to big rehab. So she and Sheldon founded the Adelson Clinic, uh, which treats people for addiction. They've got two centers, one in Las Vegas and one in Tel Aviv. Those clinics arose out of the two's shared interest in combating drug addiction. Obviously, Miriam Adelson, that's her gig. That's her job. That's her degree fighting drug addiction. But with uh, Sheldon, he and his first wife had three adopted kids together. One of those kids, Mitchell, used heroin and cocaine from an early age, according to Miriam. And died of an overdose in 2005. Another one of those adopted kids, Gary, was estranged from the Adelsons for years due to his drug addiction. So, Sheldon Adelson is married to Big Rehab and has two kids that had hard drug addiction problems. Now we're starting to see some of his focus as to why he wants to throw his millions of dollars against legalizing marijuana. And this is odd, too. This is really odd because the Adelsons formed the Adelson Medical Research Foundation. And in that 2014 campaign for uh, medical marijuana in Florida, the Tampa Bay Times reported that researchers from the Adelson Center for the Biology of Addictive Diseases at Tel Aviv University found, quote, some of the chemical compounds found in marijuana can help treat multiple sclerosis-like diseases in mice, end quote. <laughs> Adelson's own Israeli research center discovered medical benefit for cannabis in the treatment of multiple sclerosis. I'd tell you to go look it up, but all the links from every source I could find that referenced the Tampa Bay Times story that pointed back to the original study are 404s, man. Page not found. 
I tried, I tried looking in the scholar libraries to find the study itself. Couldn't find it. I can find reporting on the study. Can't find the actual study itself. Interesting, huh? So despite Adelson's own medical marijuana research foundation or own research foundation finding that medical marijuana is beneficial in treating MS and despite his wife being a medically educated person in the nation that discovered THC and leads the world in, in medical marijuana research, that doesn't matter. As far as Sheldon Adelson's concerned, marijuana is the gateway drug that led his adopted son to his death from hard drugs. So now Florida has medical marijuana on the ballot again as question two and legalization is on the ballot in Adelson's home state of Nevada also as question two, but the billionaire buzz killer isn't just dropping seven figure donations on media ads to defeat marijuana reform. He's buying the media itself. The largest newspaper in Nevada is the Las Vegas Review Journal. Back in 2014, when the campaign to regulate marijuana like alcohol in Nevada was beginning its signature drive, the editorial board endorsed the measure and they wrote, quote, taxpayers finally seem to understand that spending vast sums of money at the local, state, and federal levels on police, prosecutors, public defenders, judges, and jails to lock up nonviolent offenders and enable the enrichment of gangs and thugs has done nothing to diminish demand for marijuana, end quote. Well, so Sheldon Adelson, in December of 2015, shelled out $140 billion to buy the Las Vegas Review-Journal. In June, the editorial board reversed itself on the support for the Nevada Legalization Initiative. They wrote, quote, Legalizing weed would jeopardize the health of countless Nevadans, expose more people to drug abuse and addiction, and put excessive stress on states' health care facilities and do little to relieve the state's bloated prison population. <laughs> so, $140, billion, $140 million buys the newspaper, gets them to switch their view on legalization. Now, whether or not Adelson's going to spend his money anywhere else but Florida and Nevada, that's anybody's guess. We got potentially 10 states voting on reform this fall, but as rich as Adelson is, he could drop $4 million in each of those states and give Donald Trump his $100 million for the price he paid for the Review Journal. This guy's willing to drop $140 million to buy a newspaper, a dying industry. How much is he willing to put into fighting marijuana legalization? We shall see. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Being green is good. Growing green is good. Making green is great. CannabisRadio.com Cash? Sorry. I don't carry around cash, and I don't want to use the ATM and pay surcharges. You don't need to carry cash. Haven't you heard about PayQuick? Okay, tell me about PayQuick. It's the safe and easy way to pay. It works just like your debit card to securely pay for your purchase, and it gives you rewards points every time you use it. Nice. PayQuick, the safe and easy way to pay. 
P-A-Y-Q-W-I-C-K dot com. The Tommy Chong Show on Cannabis Radio. You know about this podcast. What I really want to do from now on is to solve world problems. I feel like my job is to calm everybody down and focus on how we can save this planet. The Tommy Chung Podcast, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome to my world. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Each year on my birthday, every American gets a cupcake. Okay, maybe you're high too. With over six years of experience in the industry, New Era CPAs is one of the nation's leading cannabis accounting firms, helping hundreds of growers, dispensaries, and ancillary companies with their tax, legal, and business strategies. New Era CPAs offices cover the West Coast from Seattle to San Diego, and their skilled team is always available to help you take your business to the next level. Visit NewEraCPAs.com for more info and set up a consultation. Welcome to the New Era. must wage what I have called total war against public enemy number one. I support a change in law to end federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. That marijuana, pot, grass, whatever you want to call it, is probably the most dangerous drug. Some think there won't be room for them in jail. We'll make them. I experimented with marijuana a time or two, and I didn't like it and didn't inhale. One major responsibility is to encourage people to use less drugs. Entirely legitimate topic uh, for debate. Radical rant. Well, as I mentioned in the news today, Ann Armstrong and Alan Gordon have been arrested by the Rhode Island State Police for an alleged cannabis grow site with numerous plants and pounds of usable cannabis and hash oil seized that they claim as their religious right, that they are members of the Healing Church. (laughs) Get it? T-H-C, the Healing Church. (laughs) They're members of the Healing Church that believes the use of cannabis is a sacrament, that it's uh, called for in the Bible, that the Hebrew word kane bosom, refers to cannabis, the fragrant cane that was to be used in the anointing oil by the rabbis of the Old Testament, of course, then used by Jesus Christ, yada, yada, yada. It's their religious right. And this is based, their argument is based on the First Amendment to the Constitution, that government shall not infringe on the practice of religion, and the 1993 Religious Freedom Restoration Act signed by President Clinton. This act uh, was passed with respect to these Native Americans, a couple of different cases. There was a a Brazilian case, a UDV, uh, uh, something vegetal, basically a a Brazilian native church, that were using ayahuasca, ayahuasca tea for their ceremonies. And ayahuasca is a potent hallucinogen, and it's a Schedule I drug. And they argued that uh, it was their religious right to use this ayahuasca tea. And also there have been decisions about uh, uh, Native Americans and their use of peyote, another potent hallucinogen that's a Schedule I drug. And so the Religious Freedom Restoration Act was passed by Congress and signed by President Clinton. And it basically said that unless the government had a really damn good reason uh, 
that people's use of these substances for, for religious purposes should be respected. And so that's where uh, Ann Armstrong and Alan Gordon and others, people like Roger Christie and uh, New Jersey weed man Ed Fortune, rest their case. And it's, it's not an illogical case from their point of view and even from my point of view. The idea that, hey, if you're going to let people use some really heavy-duty mind-tripping Schedule 1 drugs for religious purposes, can't you let them use a really mildly head-tripping drug for Schedule 1 purposes? Right? Ayahuasca and peyote, man, that's like don't-make-any-plans type of drugs. Right? That's like heavy-duty stuff. And so why in the world would you want to prevent people from using cannabis, which, you know, might get them a little giggly, might get the munchies, but nothing like peyote or ayahuasca. Well, it's because of the damn good reason part, which is in law speak, the government's compelling interest. And there are a few tests that are done on this, uh, legal tests, uh, that are set by precedent in previous cases. One of them is called the lemon test named after Mr. Lemon, one of the people in the case. And another one is the sherbet test named after another one of the plaintiffs in another case. And so you have the lemon test and the sherbet test, (laughs) which yum sounds good. Uh, But these legal tests basically amount to how the government evaluates your case when it comes to your religious freedom claim. And it's a balancing test, right? On the one hand, we want to let people practice their religion without interference. On the other hand, the government has a compelling interest to uphold the law. And in the case of the Controlled Substances Act, what we're talking about is the government's compelling interest to uphold bans on Schedule I drugs versus the right of these churches to ingest their sacraments, to practice their religion. And they're becomes all of these great little terms like least restrictive means. Is it the least restrictive way the government could, you know, enforce the law? And that comes into play too. And it gets pretty hairy, but the long and short of it is this. When it comes to the peyote and the ayahuasca, the government's got a compelling interest to keep those things illegal. But letting a few Indians use these things once or twice a year to take these massive trips isn't going to stop the government from banning that drug. The idea being that the ayahuasca and the peyote are somewhat self-limiting. It's not the kind of thing you do every day. And these religions are these old religions that can trace you know, generation after generation of ceremonial use. They've got a whole shamanistic rite and ritual that goes with these things. And, and you can pretty well identify who the religious practitioners are, right? You know, na- registered native tribes and, and, and you know, uh, native uh, Brazilians and so forth. So it's not going to be hard to identify who are those guys using those hallucinogens for religious purposes versus who's these, uh, you know, white hipsters that found some ayahuasca and are just tripping balls for the fun of it. They'll still be able to bust those guys. They won't be able. They won't have to bust the natives. So when it came to the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, that went in the favor of those powerful drugs. 
in a sense, those drugs were so powerful and so limiting by their power that they were able to, you know, fit under those, uh, they could clear those bars basically. But when it comes to cannabis, here's the problem. Number one, a lot of these religions that are suing for these are new religions, new made up, the healing church, the Hawaiian cannabis ministry, another THC church, right? Uh, I don't know what, uh, Ed's calling his in New Jersey, the temple or whatever, but they're new. Okay. So you start with a deficit of trust from the courts and this idea that it's, you know, for any other reason, but getting away with something, getting away with smoking pot. And then, then you follow that up. With, this, with the fact that cannabis, by its nature, is the kind of drug that you can take on a regular basis, on a daily basis, multiple times a day. You can be habituated to it. And a lot of these churches, when it comes to their use of it, support that kind of use, which kind of takes away from the ritual and the whole shamanistic rites and everything that goes along with the the case for the ayahuasca and the peyote guys, the THC people are saying, Hey, yeah, pot needs to be a part of your daily life. You can smoke it anytime you like kind of takes the religious part out of it for, for the judges and for the law. Okay. So basically what we end up with is a, is a problem that if we allowed the healing church and the T the, the Hawaiian cannabis ministry and these, let's just say it white folks to start pot churches, not, Ed Fortune, obviously, but, you know, just folks to start pot churches, then anybody could start a pot church and everybody could be in the pot church. And then the government's compelling interest to stop people who want to smoke pot from doing so for fun could not be fulfilled. In essence, cannabis suffers from being too mild and too popular. If we let people use it religiously, Everybody would, is the government's argument. And that is what's been found in case after case. It just came down from the Ninth Circuit last month against Roger Christie. That same idea. And if these, and, and, and sometimes in rebuttal to this, I'll have people that'll send me these case of so-and-so who got off or case of so-and-so who got off. And almost always those cases are someone who had like a personal amount on them. They just had a personal, you know, a bowl, you know, an eighth or whatever. And so they didn't get off. They didn't get the, uh, uh, they, they weren't acquitted so much as the charges weren't filed because it was a, a pity amount and who cares who wants to do that. But in these cases, we're talking Roger Christie, we're talking Ann Armstrong and Alan Gordon. We're talking about people that have pounds of usable marijuana and pounds of hash oil and multiple, multiple, multiple plants. So that gets into the realm of distribution and trafficking, which further takes away from that defense for the uh, you know religious religious freedom use. Because when it comes to ayahuasca and peyote, there's not a huge market in it. There's not you know you can go and find it and buy it, but it's not like a big market. Again, because cannabis is so popular, there is a huge established market for it. And then it becomes indistinguishable from, well, are you growing 70 plants to give to people in the church or are you growing 70 plants to sell on the black market? Or what's the difference if people are coming to your church and giving you donations? 
And that's where that whole government compelling interest comes in and weighs the scale against the religious use of cannabis. Now, every time I make this point, I've made it numerous times on the show, I'll get responses back and angry emails and so forth. Understand that I am not agreeing with the government on this. <laughs> I don't agree. But I also think that fighting for religious use is a waste of effort and a bit snobby. It's a waste of effort in that time after time after time, we've seen that the compelling interest test, the compelling interest argument can't be beaten because cannabis is too popular. So you keep barking up the wrong tree. But the other part of it is that it seems exclusionary to me. Why should I have to come up with some sort of story about some sort of God that has some sort of plan for me to smoke pot? It's the same problem I have with medical marijuana. And that is by making the medical marijuana argument or making the religious use argument, you are ceding the point to the opponent that there needs to be some third party arbitration as to whether or not I have the right to use cannabis. I don't need a king, a court, a cleric, or a clerk to tell me whether or not I can use cannabis. Anyway, that's, uh, that's my thought on the religious use argument. We'll talk a little bit more about that in hour two. Also, we'll take a look around the net for the latest breaking news on marijuana, cannabis, hemp, ganja, herb, weed, muggles, tea, jive, whatever you like to call it. We're all about it right here on the Russ Belleville Show. Woohoo! That's all the time for hour one, and uh, hour two's coming up next. Thanks for being here. For everyone here at CannabisRadio.com, I'm Radical Russ. Until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. So, by the way, when it comes to pot, you know, if you're 40 years old, you live in a log cabin in Oregon, you got 12 giant pot plants in your backyard, have a ball. Live from beautiful Poplin, Oregon, at Rolla J Studios. Freedom! Freedom! Hey, this is great! Freedom! Get the cannabis! Plus your calls, live at 971 533 
7111. They're walking on their pants with their cap on backwards, listening to the end of a man, the Snoopy Snoopy Poop Dog. What's to keep somebody from getting all potted up on weed and then getting behind the wheel? Gateway theory doesn't work. It's a reality. Holland, is it real? We're locking up people that take a couple of puffs of marijuana, and, and the, the next thing you know, they got 10 years. And now, here's your host, the guru of Gonta Graphics, the sultan of Sativa Statistics, and the worst nightmare of a reefer mad prohibitionist. A polite, perspicacious, productive pothead with a propensity for PowerPoint. Radical Russ Belleville. All right, welcome back, everybody. Glad to have you here, Tokers and Toquettes, for Hour 2. A beautiful day here in legal potland, Oregon. Smoking some legal pot. Just got done uh, talking about religious use and the radical rant. I want to continue on that here for a little bit. It's um, it's always a, a difficult subject subject for me to get into because, number one, I'm an atheist. Okay? And, and there's... <laughs> It's very clear. People know it. There's no doubt about it. Uh, and uh, I'm not shy about it, let's just say. So I already begin with some listeners out there with this deficit of goodwill because, oh, you're an atheist. You hate God. You hate religion. That's why you don't support you know, the, the healing church or whatever. And, and that's, that's not it. That's not it. I, I do think religion in general is silly, but I don't discount spirituality. I think there's a distinct difference between the two, um, but I don't want to go. I don't want to go off on that tangent. Let's stick with, let's stick with this healing church and these and and these arguments about religious use. Again, my big problem with it, and, and I get you know I'll have people say, "Oh, Russ hates religious use. Russ hates religious churches," and I'll also hear you know Russ hates medical marijuana. Russ hates patients, and that's not it. I don't hate religious use. I don't hate medical marijuana. I hate anyone telling anyone whether or not they can use weed. That's what I hate. I I hate that one human being thinks he or she has the right to tell another human being what the hell to do with their body and mind. And that extends way beyond marijuana. We're talking any drug. You have the right to tell me whether or not I can use weed or acid or LSD or PCP or anything I want to put in my body. If freedom doesn't mean the freedom to fuck up my body any way I want, to fuck up my mind any way I want, so long as I'm not hurting you, then there is no freedom. If you don't have sovereignty over your own mind and body, then everything else is window dressing. Everything else is a gilded cage. So I take it farther than just marijuana, man. I think you have the right to use any drug you want. I think you have the right to eat until you get a thousand pounds bloated. I think you have the right to do anything you want with your body. Skydive with it. Sell it for sex. Take out your kidney and sell that. I'm, a, I'm even for that, folks. <laughs> I really am. And I know there's hor- horrific arguments. Oh, that'll lead to the poor being harvested for organs. Hey, your body, your right to do with it what you choose. You want to hack parts off of it and sell them? fine. So I take it, take it even farther. And, and when it comes to the mind, I'm, I'm the same way. When I look at the, the first amendment, I read the parts about freedom of religion. I don't take that to mean freedom to pick among a set of buildings where people gather on Sunday to compare clothes and sing songs. I don't think that's not, I don't think 
the, the gist of the First Amendment. When you take the First Amendment as a whole, freedom of assembly, religion, press, uh, petitioning, and, and uh, speech, when you take that as a whole, the First Amendment's all about the freedom to be, the freedom to think, the freedom to experience, the freedom to express yourself. So when we come back from break, I want to talk a little bit more about this about what the First Amendment really means and what it means in context of drug use generally, marijuana use in particular, and why the medical and the religious argument for marijuana use run actually run counter to the spirit of that First Amendment. Just hop on the logic train with me. I'll get you there. <laughs> we'll also take a look at the rest of the news around the world of marijuana and cannabis And if you're in the chat room and got any suggestions or questions, just let me know. We'll chat about it because this is Toker Talk Radio. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Cannabis use isn't the only thing growing. So are we. Grow with us. CannabisRadio.com Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. CannabisRadio.com keeps you in the know Monday through Friday on air and on demand with Cannabis Radio News. Presented with the definitive worldwide news source, the Associated Press. Stay informed with exclusive news on all things cannabis. Cannabis Radio News, live weeknights at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific, during the Russ Belville Show. Or download the daily podcast exclusively on CannabisRadio.com, as well as iTunes, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. When breaking news happens in the cannabis industry, Cannabis Radio News delivers the details first. Get the latest updates on the Russ Belleville Show by following Radical Russ on Twitter and liking the Russ Belleville Show on Facebook. Are you playing an acoustic guitar but want to be louder without an amp? Try a resonator guitar. The fingerboard extension has national resophonic and other resonators, square necks and round necks. Stop by the fingerboard extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. Go wild hog in the woods. You're tuned into the Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation, only on CannabisRadio.com. All right, welcome back, everybody. 
Hey, quick reminder, coming up uh, in the second half hour, we're going to replay that interview, our Cops Say Legalized Drug interview with uh, Joe Baldy from South San Francisco. Sorry, Joe, if you were listening in the first hour, when I, I thought I was going to put it in the first hour, and then I re- remembered I, I had that Sheldon Adelson piece that I had to get to. So if you've been if you've been listening all this time waiting for it, you thought I forgot you. I didn't forget you. <laughs> we'll just put that in the second half hour. But uh, I want to continue on this uh, discussion on the religious use of marijuana. And again, it's not because I don't think you have a religious use right to use marijuana. I just think that that's, that's superfluous. And, and, and it's a bit, um, it's a bit uh, uh, separatist, if you will, elitist, that you would think because you picked the right religion, you get the right to use cannabis. Someone who is just merely a Catholic, well, they don't get to use cannabis. Someone who's just merely a Muslim, they don't get to use cannabis. But if you join the healing church, ah, you picked the right religion, you get to use cannabis. So I, I've got a problem with it from that angle. And then I've got the problem with it that in making the argument, you're saying that there is some outside force, there's some outside reason that determines whether or not you get to do something with your body by using a plant. So it gives more ground to the opposition than they deserve. That's my problem with the, the religious use argument. It's unnecessary. And it's unnecessary and it, it grants a, a, a tacit victory to our opponents. If, if, if we won the religious rights argument, if we said if they did decide that there would be legal religious use of cannabis, you can bet there would eventually be tests and requirements for that. There'd be ways of determining if you were sincere and no matter where you set the line, you know, from all the way to strict, like you'd, you'd have to register, you'd have to be an accredited member of the church, blah, 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 blah. Or if you set it low, if you set the bar low and if someone just says they're a member of a church, no matter where you did it, you'd be excluding somebody. Even at the lowest bar where all you have to just do is say it in court, I believe marijuana is a sacrament, you'd be excluding somebody who couldn't, for whatever moral reason, say that. And that person, I believe, has just as much right to use cannabis. And it's the same point I make with medical marijuana. You draw this line where an outside arbiter, a third party, gets to determine whether or not you're sick enough to qualify no matter where you draw that line, all the way up to you know Chicago, uh, uh, Illinois' list of 44 particular ailments, or all the way as low as California's, you were able to say anxiety in front of a doctor and hand him 40 bucks. No matter where you draw that line, somebody's going to be on the wrong side of it. Somebody that has the right to use cannabis is going to end up on the wrong side. So making either the medical or the religious argument seeds to our opponents some cannabis consumers as being worthy of locking up, of punishing. And that's why I don't like those arguments. Now, it's not that the people making those arguments have that mindset. No. You ask any of these religious use people or any of the medical marijuana people, and they'll agree that nobody should be jailed for weed, that everybody has a right to use it. And this manifests itself on the medical side in this argument of All use is medical. Anybody who's using marijuana is getting a therapeutic benefit. Therefore, all use is medical. So in essence, what they're doing is 
saying that there's a third party arbiter as to whether or not you can use cannabis, but that third party would judge that anybody who uses cannabis has that medical right. So why do you need the third party arbiter? (laughs) Why do you need an arbiter to decide something that doesn't need to be arbitrated? (laughs) makes no sense. If you believe that all people have the right to use cannabis, if you believe all use is medical, then you don't believe in medical marijuana. You believe in all use is none, that anybody has the right to use it. Similarly, I get the same response from some of the religious friends out there that say, well, Russ, because I'll say, oh, so you're going to get a religious right to use cannabis. Where does that leave us atheists? Oh, atheists could, can join our church too. But that's not the point. Atheists don't join churches. That's, you know, that's not what we're about. Granted, I did join the Universal Life Church so that I could perform wedding ceremonies and such, but that's a whole nother story. We'll talk about that some other day. Why should an atheist have to join a church would be what we'd ask. But they say, no, you know, anybody can be, can be spiritual use. And if we get this decision, then anybody's use could be, dis, could be deemed spiritual. Well, once again, you're saying there's a third party to arbitrate whether or not we are spiritual users, but anybody's use is spiritual. Therefore, why do we need the third party? Part of this, I think, comes from magic bullet thinking. It comes from this political magic bullet thinking that, aha, I've got the secret that unlocks prohibition. Once I get my medical, once I get my religious use case deemed in my favor, that will open up the doors for everyone to use it religiously. And then that will tear down prohibition. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe someday that will happen. Maybe that is the way it falls, but I just don't see it happening that way. I just don't see it happening that way. And, And there's, I guess the argument can be made that, Hey, with medical marijuana, look what happened. You know, state's, have medical marijuana and that led to states passing legal marijuana Would those states have passed legal marijuana by, uh, 2012, 2014, had there not been medical marijuana in 96 and 98 that preceded them. Well, this is a, this is a tough uh, thing to consider. Did medical marijuana lead to marijuana legalization overall? Now, I think there's a strong argument to say, yeah, because you could look at the, the Gallup polls and the Pew Research polls and track them through the medical marijuana era and see how the polls continued to climb and climb and climb and climb for support as more and more people recognized medical uses and knew people that were medical users and they were legitimized and, and all of that. I think it's a strong, you can make, certainly make that strong argument, but I don't think it's a guaranteed argument because I can make a counter argument for this. Medical marijuana in 1996 in California and 98 in Oregon, Alaska, and Washington took, and Colorado in 2000 for that matter, uh, took the, the strongest cases for legalizing marijuana out of the public debate. Cancer patients, AIDS patients, people with severe multiple sclerosis and other disabilities were now out of sight, out of mind when it came to their use of marijuana. Once these states passed medical marijuana laws, there was no public outcry about, oh my God, the poor people that are getting, these poor sick people that are getting busted for marijuana. The only people left to fight for legalization were those of us deemed to be the recreational users. 
those of us who didn't have that tug on your heartstrings legitimate reason to get high. So did did medical marijuana then make it harder? Did it make it take longer for us to pass marijuana legalization? By casting legalization as only about people wanting to get high. Could it have been that had medical marijuana not passed in California in 96 and not passed in those Western states in 98, and then we led into a 2000 with the George W. Bush administration with no medical marijuana states existing and the continuing stories piling up about sick people being arrested, terribly, terribly ill people suffering under the criminal justice system because marijuana is illegal. Could it have been that without medical marijuana, we might have gotten around to legalizing sooner? Could it have been that by 2010, when Prop 19 comes up and there's no legal states, there's no medical marijuana states whatsoever in the United States, that that is seen as the option for legalizing? That that is seen seen as the way that we help the sick people? Could it have been that when that domino falls, California being the first domino to fall, the rest of the states could could move on to legalization and be buoyed by all the great news coming out of California of not just the tax revenue being raised and the, and the law enforcement money being saved and the arrests ending, but also benefiting the medical marijuana patients at the same time. It's an interesting theory and I've just recently come up with it. I'm going to think more about it to see if I can come up with a better defense for it. It might be something that ends up in a book of mine. But uh, maybe, maybe. I still think probably medical marijuana did more to help legalization than it did to hurt it. But it's interesting for us to consider how the world might have been different if all of us had been fighting for the same goal of legalization for all of us for the past 20 years. Rather than being split into the medical and the recreational movements and having, in some cases, the recreational movement fighting against the legalization movement. It's always fun to play what if, and it's impossible to tell how things might've turned out, but I'm not willing to fully concede yet that we couldn't have done legalization without medical marijuana. So uh, let's, uh, let's consider that. And uh, we're going to have to take a break here because it is just about that time here in the Pacific Northwest when we all gather together in our union-mandated safety break. Well, that was really horrible. No, you're always complaining. (laughs) All right, folks, it's 420 in the Pacific time zone. Time for us to take a break. And when we come back, we will play the replay of that interview with Joe Baldy from Cops Saying Legalized Drugs, our LEAP segment. These days, as we're having so much tension with the police, it's always nice to hear from a cop who's on our side. Be right back after this. We don't limit how much you smoke, and we don't limit where you listen. Cannabis Radio is now on iTunes, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Oh, 
Let the marijuana llama tell you something now. Bought a game for your phone, gonna make you say wow. The game's about the game of growing cannabis for cash. Grow the seeds, sell the bud, put the savings in the stash. Little by little, your empire grows large. Put the big celebrities inside your entourage. You can choose to play with Snoop or me or Cheech and Chong. Cypress Hill, Willie Nelson, Wiz Khalifa with a bong. The name of the game is Hempy, that's the point. Download and play while you light yourself a joint. The business of cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc. is even hot proved by the man who run high times. Oh yeah, get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana Llama out. Got to tend to me on crops, you know. Money don't make itself. Hemp Inc. This is Cannabis Facts from Robert Platshorn's TheSilverTour.org. Supported by our donors and Hemp Inc. Poised to lead America's hemp revolution at HempInc.com. In 1937, the second most prescribed medicine, marijuana, was banned. It wasn't about marijuana. The paper, oil, and chemical industries lobbied to end hemp farming. No longer labor-intensive, an acre of hemp produced more quality paper than four acres of trees. Plastics and fibers could be produced from a plant. Hemp can even produce ten times the energy of today's ethanol. As marijuana prohibition ends, many states now allow farmers to again grow hemp. This was Cannabis Facts from the Silvertour.org, an educational nonprofit supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., a public company poised to process America's hemp crop at hempinc.com. This is the Rush Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. With over six years of experience in the industry, New Era CPAs is one of the nation's leading cannabis accounting firms, helping hundreds of growers, dispensaries, and ancillary companies with their tax, legal, and business strategies. New Era CPAs offices cover the West Coast from Seattle to San Diego, and their skilled team is always available to help you take your business to the next level. Visit NewEraCPAs.com for more info and set up a consultation. Welcome to the New Era. One of the most disturbing elements of the Prohibition War is how it's made police the enemy of otherwise law-abiding cannabis consumers. Fortunately, one group of police officers knows the futility of Prohibition and reaches out to educate the community and current law enforcement. Today, the Russ Belleville Show visits with another speaker from Law Enforcement Against Prohibition with one clear message. Cops say legalize drugs. Welcome back, everybody, for our Cops Say Legalized Drugs segment. We've got our guest on the line. It's Joe Baldy, former San Francisco Police Department. Hello, Joe. How are you? How's it going, Russ? Uh, doing very good. So glad to have you here. And could you tell our listeners a little bit about your experience working in law enforcement in San Francisco? Yeah, absolutely. Let me get one thing, one thing straight. It was South San Francisco. Oh, South San Francisco. I keep forgetting those are two separate places. Thanks for the correction. I yeah. appreciate that. Okay. I served as a police officer with South San Francisco from 1987 until 92 when I was retired due to injuries sustained on duty. And during that time, one satisfying rewarding aspect of my job was being on the front line of the war on drugs. I mean, I was a drug warrior. That's what I wanted to do. Uh, you know, I was about six years old when Nixon declared the war on drugs. Yeah. 
I was raised with stories of neighborhood kids who ruined their lives and their families' lives because of drugs. You know, and I thought, they're immoral people, and they need to be locked up and kept away from society. You know, it wasn't until after years after my retirement that I began to see that the war on drugs has been, has been failing. Since my enforcement days, I mean, drugs are more prevalent, they're more potent, less expensive, and the violence associated with the drug trade has drastically increased. You know, Russ, we just got to look at alcohol prohibition. You know, it's such a glaring parallel of our own drug prohibition. And alcohol prohibition created Al Capone. Drug prohibition created El Chapo Guzman. Absolutely correct. Uh, we're speaking again with Joe Baldy from Sa- the South San Francisco Police Department, former officer there. And uh, so you went into this as a drug warrior, somebody who thought that uh, drug use, uh, drug peddling were immoral. Uh, seeing the results of the drug war up close and personal firsthand, uh, did it cause you to change your perspective on drug use itself or did you just come to the realization it just wasn't working? I guess what I'm asking is, did you change your moral view on drug use? Well, the, mor- you know, the moral view is we need to get people who have addiction problems. It's, it's not a law enforcement issue. It's a health issue. Now, we know that some drugs are incredibly dangerous, and we're not saying to take dangerous drugs. We're saying that it needs to be taken out of the law enforcement responsibility. It's a health issue. And it needs to be treated that way. Uh, since, you know, my enforcement days, and even since I was a young kid, I grew up in the same city I worked in. Years before I got on the force, actually my senior year in high school, we had a local drug dealer. He was a neighborhood kid, grew up in a nice family, nice car. And Labor Day weekend before my senior year in high school, he was shot, shot in the head. A marijuana deal gone bad. Mm. These suspects, both 18 and 19 years old, came in with shredded paper in exchange for money, and they shot him point blank in the head. Now, when I went to high school, a couple of weeks later after Labor Day, did the marijuana in my high school stop? No. And when I was a cop years after in the same city, we still had undercover buys in that same high school, it continued. The war on drugs has failed. Prohibition has failed to stop the supply and demand on drugs. So it sounds like you're more on the on the tip of it doesn't matter what moral decision we make about it. You can hate it. You can love it. We just have to determine what's the smart way to deal with it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Everyone has, you know, adults have the right to, in their own home, if not hurting anyone, if they want to use dangerous drugs, that's, that's up to them. Law enforcement should not be in the process of apprehending and incarcerating these people for stuff they're doing responsibly in their own home, not hurting anyone else. You know, this is something that uh, dovetails into the events that we've suffered in this nation over the past week, uh, particularly the uh, execution of five police officers in Dallas. And one of the responses we heard from the Dallas uh, chief there was, we're asking our police to do too much. We're asking them to be uh, law enforcement and mental health and drug rehab and all of these things. Uh, is that where you're going with this? Is that your thought, that, that ending this war on drugs would uh, free up our police to do their real jobs? Absolutely. You know, the role of law enforcement should be to support reducing the harm of drugs and stopping the violence associated with it. 
Now, part of the one marijuana in California, you know, throughout the years, there's been thousands of American lives, ten thousands of Mexican lives ruined by the drug gangs and cartels. Yeah, and and part of this also that I think we need to think about. Uh, when we're talking about uh, the people whose lives are disproportionately impacted by the war on drugs, tends to be uh, young people and people of color, and they tend to be impacted because their use can't be safely inside their homes. They live in, say, Section 8 housing where drug use is not allowed, or they've got relatives living there that have pro- parole or probation. They can't have drugs around them. So what do you – What's the answer for, in a legalization world, the people that don't have the home to smoke in and not harm anyone else with? What is there? What was that again? What, what would the answer be? You know, you know, California's got this Adult Use of Marijuana Act coming up, right. and you may legalize right. marijuana in California, but for the people that, you know, black folks, black youth that are getting busted because they're sitting on the stoop and they got nowhere else to smoke, what are we going to do for them? Well, we need to legalize it. We need to legalize it so we get it off the streets so they don't have sitting around anywhere out in the public. We need to regulate it. We need to legalize it and control it. So we get it out of the streets. We get it into dispensaries that do not sell to kids. I mean, I know legalization sounds scary, but it really is taking the illegal market away from the street dealers and bringing it into dispensaries that in California that will not sell to anyone under 21. Hmm. Well, uh, I wonder what your, what your, what are your thoughts on something like a, a pot lounge or a play, a public place where people could go like they do with alcohol to, to be able to consume together, to be able to gather together and, and not harm others. I have no problem with those. I, I have no problem with those. There, I believe there should be just like alcohol. There should be places like that that, again, are regulated, have to be 21, and if people, adults, are using it in a responsible manner, I, I, I see no problem with that. Okay. And that the police shouldn't be there enforcing or raiding these lounges, and I know there's a lot of communities that are interested in that, and, you know, the legality is, we probably have a way on that, but I get it off the streets, get it into regulated, licensed lounges, that sounds good to me. All right. Uh, We're speaking with uh, Joe Baldy. He was an officer with the South San Francisco Police Department, and he's a member of Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, the world's leading organization of former law enforcement professionals speaking out against the folly of drug prohibition. You can find him at leap.cc, L-E-A-P dot C-C, and follow him on Twitter at Cops Say Legalize. And uh, Joe, this is a uh, you know a great opportunity coming up here for California with what is now called Prop 64, the Adult Use of Marijuana Act. And when you're out there uh, in your communities talking to people, what are some of the concerns they have? Because you know it, it seems like most people think it's a it's a fait accompli. It's going to be legalized in California sooner rather than later. So for those people that are still afraid of it, what do they fear, and what do you tell them? Well, the most what I hear is that because it's going to be legal that kids are going to use it. And that's not the goal. In fact, obviously, it's the complete opposite. And once we legalize it and, re- and regulate it and have it in dispensaries and have it so you have to be 21, you know, there's, according to government surveys, there's about a million teenage drug dealers across the country. Mm. And what do they say is easier to buy, marijuana or beer? 
well, it's marijuana. Why? I mean, there's thousands of liquor stores all over the place. Well, because liquor store because liquor stores check IDs. They don't sell to kids, but the dealers do. And when kids are going to mar- uh, dealers for marijuana, there's also a tendency to go, hey, let's do some crack, let's do some coke, let's do some heroin. With the passage of Prop 64 in California in November, we will get the drug dealer, the street dealer, out of the streets and away from our kids. So our law enforcement can do other things, deal with violent crimes, rapes. You know, in Cleveland last year, where they had 400,000 rape tests that were untested, they weren't a priority. The drug tests were. Mm. What a shame that is. You've, you've perfectly uh, encapsulated something we hear on the show called Watsi. What about the children? The other thing we hear a lot as a fear is something I called SMOF, stoned mayhem on the freeways. Does the legalization of marijuana worry you uh, with respect to traffic safety, especially in a city like South San Francisco? You know, we don't want anybody using any products that's going to impair their impair their driving, you know, but we need to have effective laws that don't punish people for driving high. You know, is that a reason to keep marijuana illegal? No, it's just like another reason to ban alcohol, which causes far more damage on the roads. And we need to put more education and prevention and learning the proper techniques. Some states have for the THC the presumptive test, and those are just not accurate. AAA and National Highway Transportation uh, Association stated that those were not valuable tests because THC metabolizes different in your body than alcohol. And we need to really figure out what's the best way to find the right amount of when people are actually high while they're driving or if it was four or five days later and they use cannabis and still in their system. You know, those need to be figured out. But here in California, we... Uh, we have, we already utilize recognized, recognized training and best practices designed to detect roadside impairment like this. Other states, not so much. Right. Yeah. It's not. It's not as if uh, legalizing marijuana in California is going to legalize stone driving. It's always been illegal in California, and you guys have been pretty good at picking it up, from what I understand. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, one final uh, question, with just about a minute to go here, uh, Joe Baldi. Uh, we briefly mentioned earlier the problems this country's been through with respect to police and law law enforcement among certain communities. How much do you feel that this drug prohibition has led to the friction that we find between, say, African-American and Latino communities versus the police, the feeling that they're occupied? Well, where do, where do most cops or where do most neighborhoods do police make most marijuana arrests? You know, they're poor neighborhoods. Well, they're especially poor black neighborhoods. But it's a, mig- it's a big misconception, you know, that people have on the war on drugs. Because government surveys repeatedly show that white kids are, if anything, more likely to use marijuana than black kids. Mm-hmm. But when we conduct random searches, sting operations, large-scale investigations in black neighborhoods, who ends up getting popped? Well, black kids. You know, they're almost four times likely to be arrested than whites for marijuana possession. So they aren't more likely to use. And in California, black and black are disproportionately arrested for marijuana. So, this, you know, the racial discrimination in law enforcement, it harms the relationships between communities and police. And that's pre- prevalent of what's going on now. Mm. 
So well put. Joe Baldy, formerly with South San Francisco Police Department, currently with Law Enforcement Against Prohibition. Thanks for time, taking the time to talk to us, and good luck with Prop 64 this November. Thank you. I really appreciate it, Russ. All right. We'll take a break. We'll be back with the Radical Rant. We're going to talk about K2 and zombies in New York City when we return. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Maui Wowie, Acapulco Gold, California Kush. Our strains stretch everywhere, too. This is the Cannabis Radio Network. While the feds and state are doing their dance, you still need to transact business and manage your cash. Go professional and let your customers pay with PayQuick. They pay you and they earn rewards points. PayQuick connects to your bank account for free and secures all of your transactions. And with PayQuick, you can pay your producers and processors for free. Plus, it pays to have it because it makes depositing your cash safe and so easy. No cops, no crooks, just compliance and comfort, knowing you have your cannabis business in check with PayQuick. PayQuick, the safe and easy way to pay. P-A-Y-Q-W-I-C-K dot com. The smoke is rising, and the next crop of podcasts devoted to cannabis providers and enthusiasts are ready to be harvested. Welcome to the Cannabis Radio Network, founded by respected rainmakers who have been producing award-winning podcasts for over a decade. Industry headlines, business updates, medical reports, marketing, and e-commerce education rolled up perfectly for your consumption. Let's grow together. The Cannabis Radio Network. CannabisRadio.com. The Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. The National Wildlife Refuge for Marijuana Unicorns. The Russ Belleville Show is proudly sponsored by the Marijuana Business Association. The MJBA, called by NBC News the Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, is the fastest-growing business association in the fastest-growing industry in America. I've been working with the MJBA for years, and I personally invite you to join the MJBA. MJBA also publishes the popular MJ Headline News on Facebook and the MJNewsNetwork.com and Marijuana Channel 1 on YouTube. Visit MJBA.net for more details. Uh, I have a package here for Radical Rick. Is there a Radical Rick here? How about a Rick Russ? Any any Rick Russ? Somebody named Freddie Brock has sent him a package. Anybody? What is that? Sounds like a stuff. You're tuned into the Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation, only on CannabisRadio.com. All right, welcome back, everybody. 40 after the hour here at Toker Talk Radio. And we were talking earlier about religious use arguments and medical use arguments. And I want to start honing in on a couple of the other arguments, the secular arguments, if you will, for marijuana legalization that are also a bit dangerous. One of them is the safer and the other one is the tax argument. Okay, so let's start with the first one. Marijuana is safer. Marijuana is safer. Marijuana is safer than alcohol is one that we use quite a bit, and it has been to good effect. Uh, when it was first uh, concocted by Mason Tavert and some of the other guys out there, uh, Steve Fox and, and the rest at MPP, 
they realized when they polled people, there was a huge discrepancy between people who – if people thought marijuana was safer than alcohol, they supported legalizing it. The ones who didn't think that were the ones who overwhelmingly opposed it. So they recognized if we educated people that marijuana was safer than alcohol, then legalization numbers would come up as a result. And I do think that is as much to credit for the rising poll numbers for marijuana legalization as medical marijuana was. So that earlier argument I was mentioning, you know, did medical marijuana lead to legalization? Yeah, but I think also uh, the safer argument helped to lead to legalization. But the thing we need to be careful about here is that marijuana is safer gets conflated into marijuana is safe. And if that starts to take a hold, if, if the public gets the feeling that that's what we're saying, that marijuana is safe, we're in trouble because marijuana isn't safe. Nothing is safe. But is it safer relative to something else? Already, we've seen a couple of high-profile cases of people who ingest marijuana edibles and uh, either kill someone else or kill themselves, jumping off the uh, balcony, that uh, case in uh, Colorado. We get the uh, reports of uh, the over-ingestions by kids and pets that are taken to the ERs and the veterinarians and so forth. And we don't have long-term understanding of what regular mega dabbing will do to you. We don't know. We don't, if we, we've never had the, the, the availability and, and tech to like overclock the endocannabinoid system to the degree. Some of the younger folks now using dabs all the time can, can accomplish. I don't, I'm not saying we're going to see some sort of harms, but we just don't know yet. With with smoking joints and using hash, you know, regular bubble hash and stuff, we got thousands of years of evidence on that. Highly concentrated cannabis oil dabs used a lot by a larger population. We don't have data on yet. So who knows? We might end up in a position where if the, the public has judged us to have been saying marijuana is safe and then they have all this evidence that it's not and they get more and more of these stories which will naturally happen as more and more states legalize. You know, after this election, we might have nine legal states. They're bound to be more stories. Even if a, even if a, a, a an adverse marijuana story is a one in a million story, <laughs> we're heading 36 million people out of California alone, right? So we need to be careful on that. We need to be careful about the marijuana is safer argument. And I guess what the point I'm trying to make here is that yes, marijuana is safer, but that's not the reason I should be allowed to use it. And that leads me to the other point that, that is problematic that we need to be careful about is the tax revenue argument. The argument about, well, you know, we can tax marijuana and help the schools. We can tax marijuana and raise this money. Because a lot of that taxing the marijuana is based on a sales tax or an excise tax, tax based, based on the price of marijuana. And sure, as the price of marijuana is still in the you know thousand to twelve hundred dollars a pound range wholesale, and is retailing for ten to fifteen to twenty dollars a gram, then yeah, you're going to make some tax revenue off marijuana. But as more states legalize, and especially as California kicks into some high capacity production, once we hit the twenty twenties, what's the price of marijuana going to be? How much are you going to get for a pound wholesale? And if that gets so low. 
and and the reports coming out of Colorado and all these other states is how their t- marijuana tax revenues are declining sharply. And the revenue forecasts for the f- other states in the future that want to legalize start to show that the taxes aren't even going to cover the administrative costs of, of legalization. Then where are we? Then we're in a situation where we have uh, we'll start to have calls for the excise tax to be based on weight. That's what you'll see. As the ounces get cheaper, you'll see them calling for a tax per ounce rather than the tax per per the uh, price. But all that does is make the tax on marijuana disproportionately high, especially as it becomes more plentiful. Like this California Adult Use of Marijuana Act, Act has a $9.25 an ounce tax on flour. Nine twenty five an ounce doesn't sound so bad when you're talking about a, a three hundred dollar an ounce flour. It's you know in the ten percent ten percent range or the not ten percent a three four percent range, right? But when the price of marijuana gets down to ten dollars an ounce, a nine dollar and twenty five cent an ounce tax sounds pretty pretty big. And then a tax that's disproportionately large like that is just going to fuel a black market that doesn't want to pay that tax. And then that becomes more argument for the opposition that legalizing marijuana is not going to end the black market. So we have to worry about this tax argument because as time goes on, it's going to be a less potent argument as the tax, as the prices of marijuana inevitably crash to where they should be. This is where I get back to my underlying philosophy of all use is done yet. Because the argument that I have the right to do with my mind and body what I choose, so long as I don't harm others, is immune to all these other arguments. If the price of marijuana crashes and we can no longer raise tax revenue through marijuana use, or even, heaven forbid, legalization actually ends up costing the state more money than it would save, or that it would raise... That is still not an excuse to punish me for using marijuana. We can only just look to alcohol. Here is something that we know we can demonstrate. Causes more harm, causes more cost to society than the tax revenue it brings in by a 10 to 1 margin and leads to tens of thousands of deaths. And yet we recognize the right of an adult human being to consume alcohol to alter their consciousness so long as they're not actively harming others. Even though we know it will cause many of them to do so. It'll cause many of them to become aggressive. It'll be cause many of them to drive drunk. But we respect that individual right to get drunk. And likewise, we should respect the individual right to get stoned, even if getting stoned does lead to some sort of increase cost in society. Same with the, with the, uh, sa- the safety argument. If I stand by, by my principle that I have the right to alter my body and conscience and you have no right to tell me not to, even if some people do alter their body and consciousness and cause some problems, like the guy who shot his wife in Colorado, it's still not enough excuse to stop me. Because then you have to stop everybody from drinking because of the far greater uh, uh, likelihood that someone who's a drinker is going to cause someone else harm. To me, 
the legality of marijuana is decided by the legality of alcohol. The fact that our, that our country decided to re-legalize it with the 21st Amendment, to me, settled the case that we have the right to intoxicate ourselves, even though it causes a greater harm to society, we have that right to intoxicate ourselves. And so I don't need to tell you that I have anxiety or depression or I'm too sick or get a doctor's note or pay the state for a, a permission slip or go to a particular church or worship a particular book or a particular God. I don't need any of that. I'm a citizen of the United States and I'm an adult. And if I have the right to drink, I have the right to smoke pot, snort cocaine, uh, shoot heroin. You can't show me that any of those are more harmful than the alcohol you're allowing me to use and the tobacco you're allowing me to use. Now, if, if the government comes around to banning tobacco and alcohol for the reasons they give us for why they want to keep marijuana banned, then we start to have to have that fight over which is safer and, and what levels of, are acceptable of, in the trade-off between liberty and, and uh, social order and public health. But since we've shown the trade-off with alcohol and tobacco to be uh, acceptable, there is no logical reason to not accept that for cannabis at least. And certainly some of the uh, hallucinogens out there, mushrooms, LSD, MDMA, these things that don't have addictive potential and are self-limiting drugs. And I would even argue it that the allowance for us to use alcohol is enough allowance for us to use any of the other drugs as well. All right, let's take a break. And uh, when we come back, we'll uh, round wind things up. Having trouble with my face today. I don't know if you notice. Uh, I'm getting my teeth fixed. Uh, I'm getting these Invisaligners coming, and uh, the reason why is because I've, I'm, a, I'm a tongue thruster. Apparently, I sleep with my tongue poking out of my mouth. It's really weird. I've caught myself now. I wake up and it's like, why is my tongue all the way hanging out of my mouth? And this is causing my front teeth to push out of my face, and to the point where I have trouble saying things like "new, new." I can't make that W sound can't get my lip around my buck teeth oh the humanity (laughs) we're back right after this this is the russ belleville show on cannabisradio.com how high do you like your profit margin CannabisRadio.com. Hi, I'm Montel Williams. Most of you know me as a talk show host, but I'm also an author, actor, single father of four, avid snowboarder, and I'm also a medical marijuana patient. Living with multiple sclerosis, I'm in pain every day. Medical marijuana is my last resort, and it helps me when all other drugs have failed. If you'd like more information about medical marijuana, you can contact the Marijuana Policy Project at mpp.org or call 1-877-JOIN-MPP. Georgia. 
Hi, this is Willie Nelson. Alcohol prohibition didn't work in the 1920s, and marijuana prohibition isn't working today. It's time we stopped arresting responsible marijuana smokers. It's the fair thing to do. For more information, contact Normal, the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. Call toll-free 888-67-NORML or visit their website at norml.org. The Russ Belleville Show. Chat is for friends 18 and older. We expect our chat to be civil, mature, and free from excessive profanity. If you don't like these rules, there are approximately 6 billion other chat rooms with lower standards that you can visit. Don't want to spend money on a night out, but don't know what to do other than watching TV or playing video games? Consider playing guitar, bass, banjo, or mandolin. The instrument will give you hours of entertainment with friends with minimal expense. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. Remember, friends, there's more to life than marijuana. I just can't remember what it is. Why did I come in here? This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. All right, welcome back, everyone. 54 after the hour, just closing up shop here. I was checking out some of the uh, late-breaking news stories here on the Marijuana Newswire, and... There's so many of these uh, busts that have taken place in uh, Northern California. I was just uh, reading through this, and they list these, you know, 19,000 plants in Mendocino County here, and 9,000 plants over in Trinity County there, and 8,000 plants in Humboldt County there, and evidence of, of diversion of water and pollution and all the kind of things that come with the illegal grows. And this is something that is going to be interesting as we transition into legalization because I want illegal grows under legalization to be busted. I want the people who are flouting the laws and the regulations. I want the people that are poisoning the, you know, putting out poison for rats and, you know, diverting water and and all that. I, I want them to be busted. I do. I, if we're going to, if we're going to come up with laws, we're going to legalize this, then let's legalize this. And that's going to be a, a weird place to be in. There's going to, it's going to be weird to have to support law enforcement of legalization of helicopters and, and, and pulling plants and citing people. It's going to be a weird thing because we don't want anyone to go to jail for, for a, a plant, but how are you going to be opposed to enforcing the law once we come up with legalization? And there will still remain in uh, under the law misdemeanors and felonies for these acts of large scale growing and uh, being prosecuted under state law. And the states are going to want to do this. To show the feds that, hey, we, we said we're going to legalize and it's going to be, you know, legit. So they're going to be, you know, uh, incentivized to, wonder, to, to press these, these cases. And then, and then where are we stuck as marijuana reformers 
on the one hand to have to think, well, nobody should go to jail for a plant, but we fought for legalization and this is the bargain we made is that there'd be laws. So how do we say you shouldn't lock up this guy? We can say that the punishment doesn't fit the crime, but we do have to say it's a crime, don't we? If there's going to be legalization like this. I mean, if someone went out into the national forest and tore up a bunch of land to plant, you know, wine grapes and was harvesting those and selling wine illegally on the street corners without paying the alcohol taxes, wouldn't that person get busted and probably do some time? And wouldn't we want to prosecute them? It's going to be a whole lot of paradigm changing going on in the next 10 years, let me tell you. That's all the time we got for today. Time flies when you legalize. Thanks for joining us for these past couple hours. We'll be back tomorrow with more news and views you can use for the cannabis community. For everyone here at CannabisRadio.com, I'm Radical Russ. Thanks for joining us. And until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down.